0: Welcome to Inside the Castle,
1: the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Lauren
2: Lake. And I'm Angie Friermuth. Earlier this year, the Chief of Engineer published his Command Partnering Philosophy, which talks about how strong partnerships help USACE deliver the mission on time and within budget. In this episode, we're discussing the U.S.A.S. Construction Project Partnering Playbook. And with us today are Cheryl Getz, Derek Gottfried, and Sue Dyer. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, good morning. Before we go too far into our conversation, we always like to get to know our guests. So starting with Sue, can you tell us about yourself and your partnering experience? Sure, thanks.
3: In,
2: I think I wrote my first book on partnering in 1997.
3: So I've been doing this a long time. I've worked on 4,000 different construction projects worth 180 billion dollars. About 15 years ago, I founded the International Partnering Institute to try to take all these lessons that we were learning to the broader audience of construction and develop the collaborative partnering models that are used today for IPI.
2: How about you, Derek?
0: Hi, uh, yeah, Derek Guthrie. I'm uh... Senior construction engineer up at the headquarters construction branch, and I've been involved in partnering. For quite a while, um, I didn't write a book in 1997, but I did um, attend my 1st partnering. Session as a naval officer in the civil engineer Corps back in 1997 on 1 of my 1st, big projects I've worked on. So, since then, I've been involved in partnering on both sides of the house as a general contractor and. Uh, on the on the government side uh, most recently the past 11 or so years prior to coming to headquarters i was a resident engineer out in the field and attended you know a lot of partnering workshops and, and did a lot of partnering with contractors out there at the tactical level and, and got pretty familiar with it so joined the headquarters last summer and one of the first big projects i jumped into was the development of the construction project partnering playbook last august started developing developing a construction project partnering playbook that was published and signed in late April this year and sent out to the field so just you know happy to be here and continue the conversation about partnering and and see where this takes us
2: and how about you, Cheryl?
4: hi yeah i'm uh Cheryl Getz, been with the Corps for about twenty years now um I work in our uh, military programs uh, directorate up at headquarters. Been involved with this partnering effort for quite a long time. Um, I'm sort of one of the, the key folks that engages with a lot of our industry partners. And of course, we've been working closely with a number of associations to advance sort of the partnering concept um, over the course of many years. I uh, have a lot of experience on programs and projects, more specifically with dealing with our interagency and international stakeholders. So I did a lot of that work prior to my current position within Milt Programs. And along with Derek, sort of on showed or was the primary author of the Command Partnering Philosophy and then, you know, teamed with, really with Derek to help prepare the uh, Construction Project Partnering Playbook. So very happy to be here and very glad that we were able to get, I think, these two really foundational documents out to the field and to be able to kind of move into the next phase, you know, where we really start to sort of uh, get out and talk about these concepts and um, just get everybody energized and championing these concepts as we move forward. So, thank you.
1: Great. Thank you all, and thank you for joining us today. So, we've talked a little bit about the Construction Project Partnering Playbook that was recently released to the core workforce. Um, Cheryl, can you start by giving us a brief overview of the playbook? What is in it and what is the intent of the playbook?
4: Sure. I might recap just a little bit. Again, as you had noted before, we were able to publish the command partnering philosophy back in October. And that philosophy is really kind of a foundational document that everything else is is built off of. But again, it, it sort of helped us to recalibrate within the Corps of Engineers in terms of how we think about partnering. What is it? What's our approach? What do we consider our partnering mindset to be? And it also laid out a set of core principles in terms of how we're going to think and act in terms of partnering. The playbook, the Construction Project Partnering Playbook, is the first in a series of playbooks that we expect to publish, which really takes the basic concepts that we laid out in the command partnering philosophy and translates them into actionable processes, tools, practices, that sort of thing. So the playbook kind of walks through the entire construction project delivery process. And we really walk through how does partnering apply? So this is really new for the Corps of Engineers because really the primary focus of our partnering efforts to date has been really focused on the construction phase. So what we're attempting to do here is expand this out to say, hey, partnering really needs to begin during project inception. And it needs to be uh, consistent, and it needs to be carried through the entire uh, delivery process through turnover. And then perhaps later on, we will have a separate playbook to talk about those projects that we continue to operate, maintain, sustain after turnover. So that'll be, I think, coming up in the future. Um, But for this one, we're really just focused on the actual construction delivery piece. So, again, this is a new concept uh, really focused on a lot of the uh, pre-award prior to the award of a construction contract, and then, again, the post-award piece and sort of, you know, really looking to set the standard in terms of what is the expectation for partnering across the entire delivery lifecycle. The other piece that we're really happy to have is a number of appendices to the playbook Uh, which include a number of scalable tools that folks can use to actually carry out their partnering activities. This includes anything from like how to go about determining the right partnering intensity level for your project to how to carry out a partnering uh, kickoff meeting to um, how do you write or prepare an issue resolution ladder and how do you go about perhaps executing a shared risk register with uh, your stakeholders. So there's a lot of good information that's available in the playbook, walks through the entire process. And then also throughout, we tried to bring in some best practices from the field, you know, because again, this is really about sharing best practices and trying to codify some of those best practices in this document. I might mention that this document was prepared by a a broad range of folks, including practitioners uh, from across the core, our group here at headquarters, and through a lot of outreach and engagement with, again, multiple industry associations, where we really got sort of the contractor feedback in terms of, you know, what should we be doing? What should right look like? um, What kinds of things are you guys doing? And then trying to pull that all together and synthesize it into, you know, what we believe the standard should be. That really is what the playbook is. It is meant to be a guidance document for our folks in the field. Our intent is to roll this out, have folks start using it, continue to get feedback from that, and that over course of time, especially as perhaps we get additional playbooks out there that may deal with different elements of it, rather if it's planning again or the operations and maintenance or how this applies to even construction during our emergency response missions, the intent would then be to ultimately codify that in other policy and guidance within the Corps, whether that be through engineer regulations or other policy memorandum. So that's sort of where we're heading to at this point. And hopefully that's just a brief, brief summary of the playbook.
2: So Sue, I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at the playbook yet, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on the playbook.
3: Yes, I did. And I was so excited. I could barely contain my enthusiasm for it because uh, I've written other kinds of documents like this for some other agencies. and. What I have seen is that it gives you a way to know what you need to do in order to really be successful, and the playbook itself will not only make a huge difference for the core projects, but you guys are leading the industry in this, and other people all over the industry are going to be looking at what you're doing and watching your results. I know you've used a lot of really great best practices that we know work. Uh, At the International Partnering Institute, we've done a lot of research on partnering and what what makes it work, and a lot of that is embedded in here. I know it's going to be very helpful, and I'm extremely excited to see it come out and be used and understood and uh, and shared.
2: And for those of you listening, um, I'll put a link uh, to the Partnering Playbook in the description of this podcast so you can go out and read the, the playbook for yourself. So with anything that's new, it's always important to get it out there and get people to read it, understand it, and start using it. So Cheryl and Derek, can you tell us, like what are the next steps and how can uh, the staff get involved? Well,
0: again, the playbook was officially signed on April 29th. We've got that uh, behind us. That was a big accomplishment. Since then, uh, we've actually put up a public partnering web page on the, the CORE's usace.army.mil headquarters website. So if you go there and you go up to the top and you go click on uh, doing business with us, you can go down and find that partnering page, which has the command partnering philosophy and the playbook um, and some other information. That, that allows folks and contractors and, and the public to to get to the document and uh, and see what's out there. So great uh, news to have that up here in the last week or 2. I, I should mention, we do have a knowledge management portal. For partnering that is is available on our Internet for, for folks internal to the core, which provides again, the playbook and a bunch of those appendices Cheryl mentioned earlier are in there as templates that they can then take and edit and, and make project specific. and um, use those tools as they implement partnering. In addition to that, we're, we're working on some training. We're gonna have a three-part training series coming out. It's gonna be a video recorded training that'll get posted on that knowledge management portal page. Those topics for the, those three, three-part training is the first one is introduction to partnering. Part two will be about implementing pre-award partnering. And then the third part of the training will be focused on implementing post-award partnering. So look for that training. It's being developed. It will be available and be coming out well, over the next uh, few weeks. From that, we have uh, partnering champions identified out at the divisions. And you know we're gonna be meeting with them again to talk about how they can use that training, how they can continue to work to identify partnering champions at the districts and with our field teams so we can see Get you know get them the training. Find uh, ways to to get it out there and get people involved and motivated uh, and excited to use to use the playbook. I think the the little longer term plan and, and long range plan for the the partnering uh, construction project partnering uh, effort is to develop a, a formal program that will have a program manager at the headquarters level who will work with those district and MSC champions on things like training and mentoring. The playbook didn't get a whole lot into a few areas like facilitator guidance and standards. We need to work on on getting some of those resources to the field. And so that'll be part of something that the program works on. It'll also look at performance measures for project and program level uh, metrics and analytics to to figure out ways that we can uh, leverage some resources maybe to get some, some more standard performance measures and ways of for the field teams to, to make sure they're on the right track in their individual projects and to make sure our whole overall Corps of Engineers partnering program is on track and that we can then use that information to continue to make it better. Lessons learned it will be something that program will work on. And then we're looking potentially at, a, at an awards program as well. So a lot of work to be done there uh, ahead of us. You know, we've, we've got a, a lot accomplished just by getting the playbook published but we want this to be a continuing effort so it doesn't uh, kind of stall out with just the publishing the playbook. We, we want to continue the program on and, and make this a living, breathing thing that the core can use to get better and make the program better. And eventually, you know, there'll probably be a version two of the playbook because there's going to be a lot of lessons learned as we roll this out and the teams start using the checklists and and some of the tools we put in there for them to, to use for the projects, and, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to the feedback we receive and how we can make it better.
1: Great. Thank you, Derek. And so, we have Sue with us today, and Sue talked about her vast experience with partnering. In the past, I know we've spoken with both uh, Cheryl and Derek about what makes a good partner, and so, Sue, we really want to get your perspective on, on this. What do you feel makes a, a great partner?
3: You know, as I've been listening to everyone, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I think the first thing is for people to understand why the heck we do this. Like, is this just, you know, nice things to do? What's gone? Is the core gone soft? What's happening? Why are we doing this? It seems I don't understand. So the reason we do this is because it's practical and pragmatic to help us improve the delivery of projects. And I know that most of us think about it as being coming together and kind of maybe kumbaya, but it is far from that in the new collaborative partnering models. It's about coming together to align your team to co create what it is you're going to do to be successful. And the team together creates that. Like, what are the goals? How are you going to achieve these? What are barriers to those? That is the team. And the team gets smarter, better, and faster. And that is exactly what the research shows that IPI has done, that you can save somewhere between five and ten percent. And I've had projects that have saved as much as 40% on total installed cost. You can save in time. And I know when I've implemented these programs, typically we see about a 10% change. Improvement in overall schedule. That's pretty typical. Sometimes I've had projects that took a two-year project and did them in two weeks. It really is very practical, very pragmatic. Increased safety is one of the huge things. And today, when we have fewer resources, especially human resources, increased satisfaction by 12%. That is significant. And so that is why we do it. And so I think we can't be a good partner if we don't understand why we're doing it. But it also takes a certain mindset. And I really believe it's a high trust mindset that allows for collaboration to occur. Uh, And the reason that's so important is because in a project, we are all interdependent. You can't succeed without the help of the others. And yet we sort of act like we can. And that undermines us every time. And uh, I really think that it's about a commitment to partnering. And certainly the core is making that, but it's at the project level. Are you committed to it? So when you have an issue or when you have someone who maybe you just naturally don't get along with, are you committed to continuing to make that person your partner? Those are kind of the three things I would say.
0: Hey, Sue, you mentioned the the co-create. You know, the group has to work together to co-create this effort. When, in the past, when you and I spoke, you said something that really struck me. You said people don't argue with what they help create. Could you expand on that for the audience a little bit and what you, is? I think that's a pretty powerful statement.
3: Absolutely. And this is a tool that anybody can use on your project. But if you think about it, why do people argue On a project, when you have an issue, well, a lot of it's fear, you know, fear that we're not going to do what's right, or fear that you're not following the contract, fear that I'm, and there's a lot of fear. So you got to pack that out. But the main thing is, is that when you have a project issue, or you even are going to align in some way, if you create a forum where everyone has their say, everyone, you hear everyone's perspective and you listen to it and you honor it, you are going to be so much smarter and then together you're going to be able to create solutions that would be impossible to even begin to think it could be possible if you didn't listen to everyone else. And so many times we're so much into uh, being who's right. And uh, my perspective is my perspective, right? I'm looking at you and the screen here and, uh, I must be right. But, you know, if someone's across the street looking here, they don't see the same thing. And if they're 10,000 feet above my office, they don't see the same thing. Are they wrong? No. They just have a different perspective. And when you can allow, create forum. It's a forum where you, you can be open and honest and share your truth. You're going to be amazed at the things that you can create and resolve. And I've learned that any claim is a failure of the team because your team hasn't listened to each other. They haven't worked through it. They haven't understood it. They haven't shared with each other soon enough so that it could be resolved. And that's why I'm really excited about starting in design because so much of the hard work can be done in design so that when it gets to construction, you know, you can really take off i was think of construction sort of like an airplane taking off you know you have to get that lift and if you get that lift and you can keep going and then you can have a. and then of course when you're going to end the project if you really want to end it you have to start about 50 percent completion to start thinking about how do we end it well on time the other thing i would say that happens with that And the reason this is so important is because what kills construction projects is complexity. And if you think about it, if I have two people, I have two lines of communication. If I have 20 people, I have 190 lines of communication. And then you add all the different dozens of companies who come together, the complexity is enormous. And so one team aligned with one set of goals with a set of tools melts away the complexity so that you can be successful.
0: So in your, in your experience, is there anything that you would point to as being maybe a little different or different approach you would take in partnering in the pre-award before that construction contract gets signed and executed and that plane needs to take off? And you're back in that planning and design phase of the project, but you want to implement partnering and get those stakeholders working together. Is there anything in your experience that, you know, you could do, should do a little differently or in that, in that stage than you would in the construction?
3: Yeah, in fact, some of the partnering that we, I was part of the San Francisco international airport, all their projects for 25 years, and we developed what is now called progressive design build what what we learned to do at the actually almost a pre-design but you know so is that you want to make sure that the team does the hard work early on so that you're scoping it to meet the budget so that the so what we like to use a target budget and we sort of say above the line and below the line so you have a line and you have a certain amount of budget and so you scope it above the line to meet the budget but then you also know there's going to be challenges and things that happen. We always challenge the teams to identify 10% of the scope that could go below the line. And then if you have other things, like people who want to have stuff, like the nice to have stuff that you'd like, we keep that below the line. And if the team can really make uh, huge benefits, then you can bring them above the line. But I really think the target budgeting Uh, doing that the hard work of that at the beginning is so important. Then when you're into construction, everyone understands what's above the line, what's below the line and how you're going to manage that because the, the project team's role is to manage. And balance between cost scope and schedule and unfortunately, most of the time we're just arguing about. Cost and schedule, but the scope part is. What determines both of those? I think it's bringing that, that concept of balancing between cost scope and schedule together and allowing the team to have the ability to manage that and they will do amazing things. I mean, I've been on projects where, geez, we didn't know this was going to happen. You know, we got a bust in materials or something. Okay. What are we going to do to reduce the cost? What are we going to do to, can we do something differently or, or we have a time bust? that the team figures that out. Most teams unfortunately when that happens, they go to the contract and they say this is your fault and it doesn't matter which side. <laughs> this is your fault and then they spend all their time and all their energy and all their focus trying to prove that you're wrong and I'm right. Meanwhile, the issue is not getting resolved. I think that starting at design gives you a huge opportunity To co-create at the design phase, the designs that fit the budget with adequate, you know, cushion, because stuff's going to happen, especially now. We don't know if we can get materials. And of course, with that ties into it with delays in time. And so flexibility is important. And I love the target budget because it allows team to control that flexibility.
2: That is a really interesting concept and I, I, I really do like that target budgeting. Um, it seems pretty logical, right? You make sure that the things that need to be accomplished are above the line and then those nice to haves are below the line and if things are going good, great, we'll move them up. Otherwise, you have a little bit of flexibility built in. From my experience, it seems like when people feel included in a project from the beginning and then throughout the project, there's less conflict and more synergy around the project and thus creating a more successful project. So you were, you know, having all of this decided in design um, will help things run smoothly in construction. So what are your thoughts about including people at the beginning of a project and then throughout and making sure that there's consistent communication, coordination and collaboration throughout the project?
3: Well, I always tell everybody, 50% of the success of any partnering session is having the right people in the room. And certainly at the very beginning of your partnering process, uh, whether you're kicking off design or you're kicking off construction, because I think most of the projects are designed done with a delivery system that's low bid, you're going to want to have everybody in the room that you possibly can. Hopefully someone who also has that construction mindset so that you're not creating your uh, designs in a vacuum and that you're not creating your target budget in a vacuum. You want at least a core team of people who are committed to making this happen. And you you need to decide on the project level, who are the people we need to have? I'm just now kicking off a big project that's a $220 million building project, but it's been trying to figure out Can we get the right people in the room? You need the decision makers in the room so that we can make decisions. Who are those people based on what are the issues we're going to have? And they better form at the beginning and stay along with us throughout the duration. Because if they aren't there in the beginning, they're not gonna be committed because they didn't help to create it. Remember, people don't argue with what they helped to create. So they need to be part of the creation of what the success of this project looks like. And so I think you do need to have the people in the room that you need. And then you can slice and dice your partnering too, in that you may have, like sometimes I'll have a project where we have a group of third parties. And so we'll have just like a third party stakeholder, couple hours just with them to make sure we know what they need, they know what we need. We have their phone number, we talk to them, we get their commitment, or we may have, I love to have on a larger project, an executive team just for that project so that you think about it. A project is much like starting a new business. You have this budget, you have this thing you're trying to accomplish, you have these guidelines and rules, you have all these people coming together, and yet we don't have a board of directors. That may, sets the policies, practices, processes and make sure that we the team has what they need in order to be successful. So you can slice it into an executive session, a core session, stakeholder sessions, design session. I mean, whatever you need to do issue resolution, you can use your sessions for whatever supports the success of your project and what the team is committed to achieving.
4: Yeah, this is Cheryl, and I I would like to reinforce the the concept of the executive session. It is something that we touch on in the playbook. We've had sort of this executive level involvement sort of requirement for what we consider to be our mega projects, which are the, the most large complex projects that we have. We call it tiered partnering. Uh, there's multiple tiers that we have available, different levels of leadership involvement. And sort of where we're trying to go with it now is saying that the tiered structure can apply to more than just your mega projects, right? There is value in having potentially that tiered structure and especially the importance of, of having leadership commitment. And really the leadership understanding their role, whether it's active participation or at least engagement, involvement, understanding of what's going on with the project. And that the other piece of it, making sure that they are enabling and empowering those folks, you know, at the tip of the spear who are actually trying to get things done so that they have the resources, so that the appropriate decisions are being made. And they have the authorities to act, so we're setting them up for success. So, again, I think it's something that we're trying to to really kind of uh, continue the discussion um, and and make sure that folks understand this isn't just something that only happens on the largest, most complex projects we have, but really this this sort of infrastructure needs to be in place across the board in varying levels, and that we just need to understand that all of these concepts that we have are scalable and that we need to be thinking about what makes sense for each one of the projects that we have and making sure that uh, leadership understands, you know, what their role should be to make sure that we have successful outcomes.
1: We talked about the importance of leadership getting involved and also about setting that mindset across the team on partnering and how to effectively partner and, and about being a good partner. Wanted to talk a little bit about some of the best practices to get people more actively participating in partnering efforts, as well as some best practices for team building amongst the group that's working on a project to really push our goals forward and have true partnering success. So I'll open it up to whoever would like to go first.
3: So, best practices for creating a team on a project is to create one team. And I mentioned that. And you know, one of the things that is true is that there is a power imbalance on a project. The owner really has most of the cards. It really takes the ability of the owner to commit to partnering so that the rest of the team can kind of come forward and, and uh, bring their, their brilliance forward. Otherwise, they're probably gonna stay back. And it's real easy for any of you who are owners or owner reps to you know, play your cards and diminish the voice of other people on the teams. I always tell people, anybody on the team, if you wanna improve communication by 50%, stop talking. And just listen, two ears, one mouth, listen, and listen to try to understand what they're telling you. And you'll be amazed at how you will together be able to then co-create and create wonderful solutions and very durable solutions that get implemented. So I think that's one of the things that, again, understanding the underpinning of why you're doing that. We have complexity, which undermines us. We have power imbalance. balance, And we have interdependence. We have kind of those three things that are the natural occurrences on a project that we're trying to blend and overcome.
4: I think it's important to focus on building the team before you have an issue. And I think that gets a lot to um, the focus we have on team building and really trying to build those relationships not just on the project, but outside the project, right? Because, you know, the more we have strong relationships with the folks, not just working relationships perhaps, but, you know, again, doing these kinds of events where you're getting together and bonding and really um, creating a deeper level of of relationship with folks, uh, building that trust level. I think it's only going to help you as you get into the hard, challenging issues that you're going to have to nug through. So if you do, if you don't have that trust level built, if you don't have those relationships, then it becomes a lot more challenging when, again, those tough things do come up and you guys, you just don't have that trust level to be able to really kind of let your guard down and then really be able to work through some of those issues together.
0: And I would say, you know, Sue, like, Touched on the fact that the owner does have a lot of the, the say in the project. Obviously, um, I think it's important for our folks out there in the field to understand that as the core of engineer representatives that are. Leading the project, our project managers, our resident engineers. Project engineers, CORs, all those folks that are on that team really need to show up. With that partnering mindset that, that we talk about a lot in the beginning of the playbook and show the rest of that project team. that. Hey, we're committed to this. We're committed to the partnering process. We're committed to that forming one team, putting the project first above everything else, and getting all those external folks that aren't core folks, all those other parties that are involved, leading the way and showing them we're on board. We're committed to doing this, and hopefully that will then send the right message and get them, you know, excited and and willing to to participate and and show up and and um, Help build that that one team. I think that's important for our folks out there, the core engineer folks especially, to, to to get on board with that. And and you talk if you look through the playbook quite a bit, we talk about how you know projects have a partnering facilitator, sure, but the leaders on that core team, the project managers and the resident engineers, area engineers, they are really the ones that are having to to lead and do a lot of that facilitator work themselves. And in doing that, I think that will pull out that same um, leadership out of our construction project managers on the contractor side and our design managers on the design side. And even our, you know, the core is an owner technically, but we build a lot for other agencies. So getting those other stakeholder agency representatives involved and, and showing them that we're committed and and just building that one team. I think it's important now that we we get our folks on board with that and and just some simple team building things like, a potluck lunch in the contractor's trailer on site or something like that where we just get together and talk as people and not necessarily talking about the project and get to know one another better so that we can continue to develop those relationships build the trust um, that's necessary to make this this whole effort work um we got a lot of input from the field on on projects out there that have been successful and uh, have you used some of those best practices that worked well for them and they we took those and highlighted them in the playbook so
4: yeah i just wanted to kind of reinforce that the concept of you know one of the core principles that we tried to lay out in the command partnering philosophy was really trying to shift folks mindset away from this concept of partnering like you've been successful if you hold a partnering workshop Really getting folks trying to break away from this concept of either formal or informal partnering or that you've executed partnering successfully if you've had a workshop and then you've really done nothing else to follow up and really trying to move folks to the concept that partnering is really a continuous, you know, routine activity that you always need to be thinking about and thinking about how you're going to incorporate it into all the meetings that you have, into all of your interactions, right? It really gets back to the concept, as Ms. Dyer pointed out as well, about the mindset, right? And that everything that you think you do should be with a partnering mindset. And, again, I think this is important in terms of the partnering maintenance piece. Um, the importance of of making sure you know that folks sit down and they all talk about how they're going to continue to help maintain and build these relationships over the course of the project, and how are we going to continue to to allow um, opportunities for us to engage, to interact, to communicate, to share ideas, and again, you know, just make sure that there's always opportunities to come together and to work through some of those issues. I think that's kind of a key piece that we're trying to to drive folks to through both the philosophy and you'll see that throughout the the playbook as well.
3: I'd just like to jump in and say one of the things that the role of the facilitator is as a neutral facilitator. And I talked about the power imbalance. And, you know, even if you're The best, best person on the world. The more power you have, there's still it's hard to create a team of equals, and that's really the role of the facilitator, is to help to create this forum, this atmosphere where your psychological safety to come forward and share your brilliance, and that's really their role. And so many times on a team, people feel the need, and it doesn't everybody. What it could be the designer, contractor, owner feels the need to protect. And I know a lot of construction managers, in fact, they think their job is to protect the owner. And whenever you're in a protection mode, your mind shifts into an adversarial mindset because now I need to protect myself, there's fear. And so now you're my enemy and my mind is gonna work towards how do I protect myself as opposed to how do I understand what's going on, what's needed and co create a solution. And so whenever anybody shifts into that need for protection, if you're on a project, that's the time to step in and step towards each other and try to really listen. Uh, Because on a project where you're interdependent, you have win, win, or lose, lose. And I can't tell you many projects I've been on where they're actually negotiating who's going to lose more. That's still a lose.
2: I was born a, a farm girl, and I live on a farm. Um, my dad always said, farming's a way of life. Um, and so I look at partnering as a way of life, right? If you're going to be successful, it has to be ingrained in who you are as a person and what you do on a daily basis. And I think that that's the essence of the the partnering playbook, the command philosophy. The chief he wants us to have a partnering mindset to make sure that we're continuously listening to our partners and making sure that their voice is incorporated into what we're doing. Um, and I think I think that what all of you are doing um, with this is just great and it's a step in the right direction. And one of the challenges that I have experienced in the partnering realm is just how do you measure that success? Because, you know, being part of the Army, it's always something that we want to do is we want to be a red, amber, green and know how successful we've been with our efforts. And so have any of you came across any good way of measuring the success of partnerships?
3: Well, you know, some years ago, I had a chance to work with the Department of Transportation here in California and the Federal Highways. We were developing a comprehensive partnering program, and so we did a benchmark study of the best of the best project managers and REs all over the country, and we asked. These were people who were renowned, and every project was like magnificent. There was a, how do you do this? And what we found is they all used a monthly survey. They made sure every single person filled out that survey and that they knew what was happening on their projects. And you would think, well, you know, you had a meeting, you talked to each other. You know, they said they found out things that were just impossible to know. So that was what launched uh, me into the development of what we call the construction scorecard. And so you measure what the commitments are that the team has made, and then you adjust it as the team's commitments adjust and change. And they measure between one and five, one poor, five great, we're doing great on this, we're following through, and then they make comments. It allows the team to be accountable to each other. It allows for emerging issues to be known when you still have time to steer. (laughs) And it does allow the team to steer. We also now have an algorithm that measures all the scores across the entire project and gives them a momentum score and you can have negative momentum and you can have positive momentum. And it is a very high predictor of what's going to happen before it's happened. So the the team can actually use those scores then to measure what is going to happen and steer so it doesn't happen or it happens in a you know less impactful way. A scorecard is a very powerful tool the team can use to measure how are we doing it, following through with what we said we committed to doing and holding each other accountable for that. And of course, adjusting it along the way so that you can become one team focused on the success of the project. And the scorecard is determining how well you're doing that.
4: I have a follow-up question to that. Do you believe that the scorecard should be tailored to the specific project? Or is there like a set of standard assessment criteria that you tend to use across all of your scorecards? And I would ask that because one of the things that we're sort of thinking about is beyond just the project level, if we're interested in assessing sort of trends across the board in terms of where we either have strengths or potential weaknesses from a partnering perspective, how do we kind of assimilate or synthesize the feedback that we're getting in some of these sort of scorecards to to kind of identify those trends early and be able to, you know, mitigate them?
3: The answer is both. So, we have Categories. So we always have a goal for safety, for budget, for time, schedule, for quality, uh, usually for communication. We always have one for teamwork and we also put in the issue resolution ladder. So that's for how are we are we resolving our issues? And we also have one for trust. So we always have those categories but then the team creates the actual goal for that project so and we want it to be specific enough so you know if you if, it, if you achieved it or not so it can't just be we will be safe no what does that mean we will have zero lost time access we will have zero incidents to the public we will have. No more than the average that would normally happen. You know, whatever it is, the team creates the actual goal, and we expect them to be committed to that goal. These are just not words on a piece of paper, and the scorecard is going to bring those back to them. Every single month or, or bimonthly, whatever they're doing for the risk level of their project, and they are going; those are going to be their guiding lights. They're, that's what success is. And so you kind of need both. And there may be some things like you might even do a category, which is partnering since you guys are trying to make partnering. Robust and committed to, you could just do uh, another measure that's just partnering, uh, but you need those specific for the project. And then we also let the team create non specific, like specific to this project. Like we have. An issue with a third party, like we have a railroad that we're going to have to interface with. We have a bunch of utilities we're going to have to re- interface with. We have a city. You may have goals for those specific things, too, or for something uh, like we want to win a, we want to win the first Corps of Engineers Partnering Award. You could have all sorts of different types of we want to win an award for the best barbecue up in the Corps yeah, <laughs> our team building. The team creates these and so that they're committed to them. Again, they won't argue and they'll be committed to the things they co-create. But we do give them parameters for the things that we know. We know we need something for safety. We know we need something for budget and schedule. And like for schedule, people will say, well, we've got got 500 days for this project. We'll build the project within 500 days. No, 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 no. What is the day you're going to finish? That's the goal we want. What is the day you're going to complete this project? And that doesn't mean it can't change, but we want to, everyone. So you, the contract, there's a contract days, and then there's a, the scheduled day, and then there's the day we hope to get to. One of those days or what day in between all those, what is the one we're going to commit to doing? And if we're committed to doing then we back up and do what do we need to do today to get there? We want uh, very detailed commitments.
0: Hey, Sue, on the the performance measures that you have and maybe in your scorecard that are more uh, specific to like the team, not necessarily a date for completion or whatever, but more of a subjective, how is the team doing, a team building and and those sorts of things. In in your experiences, have you seen things that work better? Like, I I know there's kind of a debate over whether everybody scores everybody else or do we just score the team? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that.
3: I never have a team score each other ever. You want one team focused on the success of your project. And as soon as you start scoring each other, you have just broken that. You, you are now multiple teams. You are us versus them. You are adversaries and it just, it sets up the wrong mindset. So it's got to be everyone scoring everyone else. And then it will come out in the comments like, You know, we have a subcontractor that's not got the right attitude or we have conflict going on here. It will come out, but it's you want to act as if you are one team. And as soon as you start having policies, practices or processes that bifurcate you or trifurcate you into different groups, it makes harder for the team to create the one team. It just, you know, it's just a, you get that cognitive dissonance in your head wait a minute that's not us you know that doesn't work it, it just works against what you're trying to accomplish
1: we really appreciate you all coming together today to talk about partnering in the construction project partnering playbook as angie mentioned previously uh in this episode we'll have a link to where to access that playbook uh with the description of this podcast. And so, again, thank you to Cheryl, Derek, and Sue for your insights today. We really appreciate you participating in this podcast and providing some wonderful knowledge about partnering and how together as a core of Engineers, we can move forward in improving partnering and improving our project outcomes through partnering. Um, So, thank you all again for participating, and we hope you have a great day.
0: Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the Corps and revolutionize civil works together.